Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's Healthcare Executive Education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. Thank you also to the Clinician Experience Project by Practicing Excellence for sponsoring this episode. The Clinician Experience Project provides coaching and development solutions for clinicians, leaders, and teams working in some of the nation's largest hospitals and healthcare systems. As a leading provider of clinician-designed content, the Clinician Experience Project team partners with clients to deploy skill-building programs that map directly to organizational goals, delivering measurable enterprise-wide results. To learn more about how your organization can improve patient and organizational outcomes, visit www.practicingexcellence.com. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space podcast is Dr. Shantanu Nundi. Dr. Nundi is a practicing primary care physician. He's the chief medical officer of Accolade, and he has recently released a book called Care After COVID. We are obviously in a very strange time where we are not in the after part of the COVID-19 pandemic, but this book is important and this conversation is critically important for the simple reason that Dr. Nundi helps us understand the critical need to have a vision and, as he says, to dream a little bit and spending some time in that place around creating and having vision and giving yourself space and time to do that, why that is so critically important, even when we are still in the midst of so much turbulence. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to remind everyone, please do check out the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can find this episode as well as all of the Explore the Space episodes on whichever podcast platform you like. We are on all of them. If you have the opportunity to give us that five-star rating and a review, that really helps us out. And obviously, sharing the show with friends, colleagues, family also really helps us out, and we appreciate it very much. So all that said, I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from Dr. Nundy. So here we go with Dr. Shantanu Nundy. Shantanu, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. It's great to have you here. Absolutely, man. It's exciting. You're in the midst of the book tour. I've never been on a book tour. I've participated in them as a podcaster. What is the tempo like of a book tour during a pandemic? Is it less than you expected, more than you expected, or is it just like getting hit with a boulder on a you know a couple times a week? You know, I think the secret of success is to have no expectations. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I expected, but it's been great. It's been great. You know, I, I'm not in like academic medicine and stuff anymore, right? Where you're constantly talking to young people and old people and other people like, you know, I'm in the business world. And so it's been fun. It's been fun to reconnect with people and just hear a bunch of different voices. 
That's great. That's great to hear that it's been a rewarding thing. In your work, though, you're still seeing patients. You said you're a non-academic physician such as myself. What we mean by that is we're not affiliated with a medical school or a training program or something like that. I work for a very large multidisciplinary medical group in Northern California. You're still in the midst of, with all of the things that you're doing, you still see patients. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Uh, Yeah. Every Friday, I work at this little uh, community clinic uh, in D.C. It's great. So, So in that space, then, and this for me is the right place to start. From your perspective, when you write a book like Care After COVID and you're being interviewed on your on the tour and just in in general, how do you think the fact that you still see patients lands on someone like me who sees patients full time, sees COVID patients in the hospital? What impact do you think that it has when I pick up your book and read it or see the opinions swirl, these sorts of things? The fact that I know that you still see patients. What is your impression of the impact that has on me? I've never thought about that. I'll tell you, so for people not like you, people who don't see patients, you know, people who see patients, sometimes we forget that, like, sometimes we think everybody in healthcare sees patients. So not true. And talk to non-healthcare people, or sorry, healthcare people who don't see patients about my book, and I mentioned that I see patients, they're just blown away by the patient stories. They're, 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 they're looking for like on the ground, here's what's actually happening stuff. Um, I think when I talk to healthcare people who see patients like you, I, I don't know, you tell me, but I think at least one of the things is, man, could, could I write a book or Hey, like, could I be out there telling my stories and talking about what I think I should have, which I think if that's true, I, I love it. I got your book in the mail. And I saw on the front page what the pandemic revealed is broken in healthcare and how to reinvent it. If I see that from a doctor who doesn't see patients, I don't care mm. because you don't get it. You don't know what it actually feels like to sit in the room and have someone say, I can't get the prior auth or be in the hospital and have someone say, I can't go home because my home just burned up in a wildfire or I don't know how I'm supposed to isolate. I live with six other people. How am I supposed to quarantine at home? And we, you know, the vaccines aren't available yet. If you don't understand what that feels like, and that's not to say that your ideas wouldn't still be valid. It's, it's a gold bar of credibility. It's just, it's, it's currency and that you can't replace it. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me, man. So then I, in that I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something funny. I'm, I've been out there so much now, which I don't normally, like, I'm normally mild mannered, just in the corner wizard of Oz. Uh, but I've been out there so much. I actually had someone send me this kind of hate mail message that said, oh man, like more thought leadership from another doctor who doesn't see patients and doesn't implement any solutions. And I showed some of my friends and they're like, man, they really don't know who you are. But, Legit. But I, yeah, I, I understand it at some level. <laughs> the, then in that space, I think that, and, and this is, I'm actually super curious to know this. You frame this book and, and it's right at the top of the book. So this is how anyone who picks the book up can, can kind of get started. The three D's distributed, digitally enabled, decentralized. There is a fourth D I was dreading. I was dreading it was going to be there. I even checked the index. It's not there. Do you oh, know what that fourth D was that you did not put in the book? 
it's it's not donuts. Uh, <laughs> if it was donuts, I'd have flown out to your house to give you a hug, man. I used to buy donuts every Sunday when I was on service, and we would all like have a big thing of donuts. I don't know, around. man. You you're super healthy. That's why I was in church. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, if it was donuts, though, that again, that'd be your second gold bar of currency. It was disruption. I don't mm-hmm. like seeing disruption. When I hear disrupt mm-hmm. healthcare, that makes me feel like the robber barons are coming, right? That is such a, it's such an overused term that just has no more meaning, but it's basically, for me, at least feels like people who just want to come in and get their claws in. And the fact that you didn't use it, whether intentionally or unintentionally, to me, is a credit to the approach that you used. And I just wanted to thank you for that because that term just, it permeates and percolates and I don't like it anymore. Yeah. No, I, I feel you, man. Those words don't mean anything to us anymore. Yeah, yeah. Do you think this book would have happened without the pandemic? Was this a crystallized moment that you had when you woke up or were you at work one day? Would this have, or, or, or was it something that because of what the rock flipping episodes we were experiencing with the pandemic and the light that it was shining on so many car- dark corners of our profession, would it have happened without that exercise? I mean, I definitely would not have written a book if not for the pandemic. I can say that. Why? What what is it? What was it about the crucible of a pandemic where none of us have any time left? We're all stressed. We're all scared that that's the rocket fuel to actually carve out space to write a book. I mean, man, I think, look, all of us, I think every doctor, nurse, health professor, I think we've all done way more during this pandemic than I think we ever did before. Right. Some of it could be taking extra shifts. Some of it could be yelling at your neighbors to get vaccinated or driving them to get <laughs> vaccinated. Right. Some of right, it could be right. taking to social media, posting on Facebook, answering text messages from God knows people's friends, friends, friends about whether they should take their cruise line vacation because of the right. Like, I think that totally happens, by the way. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. yeah. And so and so, look, I think we all have taken on more for better and for worse. And for me, you know, I saw, you know, like we also, I saw our whole country turn sideways and I was sitting here a month or two in saying like, what's my role in that? Yeah. And, and that's like, I literally, I mean, I'd never written an op-ed in my life before COVID. I've never been on TV before COVID. I've never given a keynote talk before COVID. I'm not that guy. I'm the super nerd. I'm the guy who went to MIT, super nerd, sits in the corner, wizard of us. I've never done that stuff before. COVID woke, up, woke me up because when I looked at what the people who were deciding were doing, I was like, nah, nah, we're, we're, <laughs> we're not going to do that. And then I realized that like, if I didn't step up and say something, even if nobody listens except for you and me, that's cool. Um, like if I didn't say something, then I don't have a right to complain on some level. So that it, for me, it was the whole thing, man. It awakened that. That is so gratifying to hear. I think there's a lot of physicians and healthcare workers that have had that experience. I certainly did. It was before the pandemic, but that same concept of realizing that, hey, if, if, if we're not talking, then we're missing out and that there's a responsibility to do it. But also, man, your skill set's pretty robust. Did you feel like you had the skill set to write a book, to write op-eds, to go on TV, to start doing those things, or did you have to learn it on the fly? Learn it all. Yeah. Learn it all. And I had a lot of help. I mean, I don't want to be the, I'll be the first one to say I had a research assistant who I hired. I had someone who helped me edit the words, right? Like I had, I mean, I had a lot, a lot, a lot of help. Um, and, but yeah, I learned a ton and, and that's, that was been fun too. Honestly, part of the yeah. fun has just been like, how do you communicate? <laughs> with people and yeah. Like, 
how do you write a book and what's the publishing industry and like all this stuff. I could talk about all this stuff you know, at some depth. And I'm just one of those guys I just love to learn. And I'm glad that you say so, because I think one of the things that I know for a fact there's tremendous curiosity about is while for you and I, you know, we could fire each other up over how we can talk about these things now easily. But there are myriads out there who still haven't unlocked that yet. And that's okay. But we need them. We really do need all of the physicians and medical students and healthcare workers, nurses to understand that skill set is there for the taking. What were the low hanging fruits for you to get started, to just get over that moment of inertia where it's like, that's too big, that's too scary. I don't know how, I don't know where to start. What would you say are the things that anyone can really just kind of reach out and grab? Wow. Um, our patient stories. I mean, I think that's huge, right? I mean, those stories are gold. Again, yeah. to us, they seem like, okay, that's just my job. But your job is like those stories, they add up to something that's happening. Um, I think we all have friends. I mean, honestly, the first op-ed, I called up uh, this, this uh, Kavita Patel. She's a physician and a, a huge policy person. I said, hey, I have this crazy idea. Would you help me write this thing up? Right? Like, you don't have to figure it all out on your own. Um, so asking for help, right? Not reinventing the wheel and, and asking for some help. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which unfortunately yeah. our profession, at least when I was training, and I think you and I kind of trained in parallel, that was not something we were really encouraged to do very much. It was suck it up and handle it on your own. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a difficult spot that I think people kind of in our generation are in. And I feel like there's a responsibility then for us to say, look, not only will you be requited when you ask, but you'll be, you'll be a champion and a leader for showing how to do it. I mean, there's, yeah. And there's another huge one, which is creativity. We are penalized in training for being creative. I mean, I still remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, when it comes to yeah. evidence-based medicine, it's probably not a good idea to be creative, but, but like for a lot of things, like I remember so many, th I remember I had this, <laughs> I had this guy who had this like, like crazy little lipoma on his forehead and he was like admitted to the hospital for a heart attack. But all he could talk about was his lipoma. And of course he's a chain smoker. So half the time I'd be talking to him like, in the balcony of the hospital where they're all, you know, they're all smoking. And I just remember I had this idea. I was like, what, what do I have to do to get you to quit? <laughs> and the guy goes, well, help me get rid of this lipoma. And of course the guy was on Coumadin and stuff. So I was like, I was like, I don't know how to help you with that. But I had just done a dermatology rigid. So I called up the derm resident and I was like, Hey man, there's this guy who's lipoma. I need you to cut off. But his like, you know, his INR is like two five. He's like, I'm not going to do that. He's like, come on. I was like, come on, man. Just do it on the side. You could use a little bit of help. This, if I do it, this guy will quit smoking. And the guy's like, what, what are you? And he's like, fine. <laughs> so cousins, he's like, pull off. Then I turn to the guy and go, so you going to quit smoking? And he's like, yeah, doctor, I'm going to quit smoking. And it was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but we're, we don't, we get penalized for being creative. Yeah. You know, like if you give a, even if you present a patient and you don't start off with, it's a bloody blah, you're all bloody, bloody, bloody. Yeah. Like, you yeah. Know, and so I think that's the other thing is I think a lot of doctors, when I talk to young people who, you know, you look at them and you're like, how the hell did I get into med school? Like a lot of them have done really creative pursuits before med school. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, I agree. I and agree. that's actually why we bring them into these great schools, but we then don't um, encourage that at all. In fact, the opposite. I, I share that feeling, that idea of like, if I do anything outside of this specific approach, formula, 
syncopated thing, I'm going to get hammered for it. And, you know, writing a book is exactly that. Like you're breaking out of the mold and you're, you're, you're creating something totally different. It's, it's a, it's a brave step. And I think it's really smart that you can call that out as the first thing, because then people at least feel like the experience is shared where when they're feeling like, I don't know how to get started. And if I do start, I'm going to get hammered for it, that we're all in that same space and we can rely on each other to know like you, you won't and your career will be better for it and your patience will be better for it. But it is hard. It is hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. The book itself is creative in the extreme. And it also, for me, kind of like called on old lessons. It kind of harkened to some other leadership books and leadership traits that I've picked up on. And was there things that you felt like you were able to adapt from books, people, experiences that resonated with you? Or did you feel like, boy, this is really a clean slate and I'm building this puzzle totally out of unique pieces? You know, I take inspiration from from a ton of different people, for sure. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, someone like Atul Gawande, you know, amazing, amazing. I mean, the writing, you know, <laughs> of course, mine is like, you know, not even on the same stratosphere. But but that idea of of making stories, you know, making reading interesting. You know, I actually yeah. took a little, um, uh, I took like a master class. Have you ever heard of that app? Well. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I wanted to do the Steph Curry one on dribbling. He has a whole oh. Steph Curry like masterclass on ball handling. I was like, man, that'd be really cool. Yeah. So like I, I took a class from Malcolm Gladwell, who, you know, I also respect. Oh, him, yeah. And I was really yeah. surprised, you know, Malcolm talks about, you know, you know, that writing has to be entertaining. And I remember yeah. remembering that a lot, saying like, wow, you're this is a form of entertainment. It's true. Like it's knowledge, it's whatever. But you kind of that, that can't be enough. And so. No, I took inspiration from a lot of places, um, a lot of different books, Bob Walker's book, you know, Bob's great. Um, but I also, you know, I also took this as a chance to do my own thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know? What are and, the influences outside of me? I know all the people you mentioned, they're great. What are the influences outside of our profession that have been impactful for you? Acknowledging that not all the answers live in our, you know, lofty white castle on the top uh, of the mountain. What? I know. I know. It's scary to realize that. Um, so definitely sort of like the big think Ted talk sort of tech world, right? I mean, I, I poop with the tech world a lot, but I, I do like, so the whole idea of having these three terms, right? Um, distributed, digitally enabled, decentralized. I mean, I was trying to punch up a little bit, like I could have had it be called home care and virtual care and shared decision-making and health disparities. Those could have been the names of the chapters, right? But I was trying to you know, create more of a concept, right? I was trying to kind of get people, you know, healthcare can be a little meat and potato sometimes. I was trying to elevate it on some level. And so I took some inspiration from that as well. Sure. There's a, a book that I read several years ago by a retired Navy SEAL officer called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. And Jocko came on the podcast before he became super famous and mm. I was actually able to get him. And in that book, and it's a concept that I remember reading before I took on a huge new leadership job, decentralized command. And oh. that, so when I saw that, I wondered if perhaps you may have read that book because it came out five or six years ago. Because as I was reading this, I was like, boy, there, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, yeah. Matter is neither created nor destroyed. And I loved that hearing that that wasn't something you had read and you still found it because it, to me, 
exemplifies that these truths are just, they're there. We just have to incorporate them into a language and a framework that can be understood by our profession. Mm. Yeah, no, that is so true, man. That is so true. I think there is a lot of stuff that in medicine we pretend like we invented, but we're actually, right. you know, reinventing or whatever, boring from other places, whether we implicitly yeah. or explicitly. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. And that's okay. I think that it's good to be able to say that's fine. That if nothing else, it strengthens us because it just allows us to be open to opinions beyond. And I love the analogy of the White Castle on the mountaintop because that's literally what my residency program looked like from the freeway. It literally (laughs) was this white building on top of a hill uh, when you're driving on the when you're driving on the 163. Yeah, Uh, uh, and you know it's you just never forget that kind of thing. But the answers aren't all there, and being able to grab them from different places. It makes the book that much stronger for sure. Mm. Thank you. Do you feel like putting the, the structure of the book together, did the challenges, the barriers and the friction to implementation come out for you when you're talking about the, the three D's and you're thinking about, okay, I'd love to see this happen. And I think I'm right. I think I have a really good hypothesis here. And my advisors on this have been, they're locked in, they're smart. They're at the highest levels. I want to implement this. Can you also see the major points of friction, the huge barriers? Do they become obvious to you? Yeah. I mean, for sure. Going back to the point about clinic, right? Like I know how hard, you know, a lot of this stuff is. I think a lot of the ideas are born from that. I also think that sometimes, you know, again, I love doctors. I love healthcare. I think sometimes our first reaction is to say no, you know? Mm. And, And I think, like, you know, if I, if I told you two years ago, hey, you know, guess what? We're going to get 80% of our business to be virtual in two weeks. What would you have said? Oh, I'd have said, <laughs> call me back when you're sober. Oh, we're going to partner with the church to get people the vaccines they need. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's yeah, call me. Right? Call me yeah. And so, I, and so yeah. I kind of gave myself the permission here a little bit. Yeah. I'm like, you know, again, going back to the, the inspiration from sort of tech and big think, it's like I wanted to lay out a vision. Yeah. And, and, I and I think, and I think, you know, and I think that's, that itself is powerful. It doesn't mean I have to have all the answers. In fact, even yep. the terms I use, you know, it was very much like, Hey, these are the concepts. This is the vision. I actually firmly believe the whole idea of decentralizes every doctor, every practice, every community should decide for themselves how to best in, implement. So it was actually implicit in it, but I think we got to give ourselves the permission to have a little vision um, and to dream a little bit. Oh, I love that. You know? Yeah. Very much. I, I think that that's such a great way to look at it because, you know, we, the, the analogy I use is we turned an aircraft carrier 90 degrees. And as you say, in two weeks, who would have ever dreamed we could have done that? And COVID has had so many strange and interesting ripple effects. And that's one of them. But now we realize we can do can. pretty wild and extraordinary things. So why not this? How is this any different than 80% of visits going to, you know, telehealth within a span of two weeks? Why not? I, I, that's such a great mindset. And I, if this was like a pop-up book, which obviously it's not, but like the, the pop-up in the middle would be that, you know, it would be what you just said. And I really like that. I like it a lot because it's refreshing. Yeah. And it's power. Like, look, I, one of the things that gave me chill, honestly gave me chills halfway through working on this thing was I was talking to a colleague of mine about it and she goes, well, what are you doing? I said, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, you know, the weird thing is we have so many smart people in this country. If you ask really smart healthcare people, what's our vision for healthcare? You know what the answer would be? 
The answer they would say universal health care, yeah. Medicare for all, or value based yeah. care. Yeah. But what I wanted to do, and, and like I'm not going to get into that, all those things are great. But what I wanted to say is, and I had this experience a couple months ago, um, seven o'clock on a Saturday night, my seven year old daughter, who perfectly healthy, happily kid, couldn't breathe. And my wife and I are looking at each other. You know, she's an oncologist. I'm a primary care doc. Don't take care of kids. Looking at my seven-year-old and she's, she can't breathe. And, and that's the moment where healthcare happens, right? When two parents are scared looking at their kid, but nobody can tell us what's your vision for that scenario is, is, are they supposed to go to the ER? No. Cause the ER docs will kind of be like, Oh, why are you here? You shouldn't be here. And the insurance company will be like, well, denied, you know, this wasn't a problem. Like, but the, Healthcare starts in that moment. And so what's our vision for that? Like, seriously, what's our vision for that? Is our vision that somebody should get dispatched to their home? Is our vision that you should call your primary care doctor and leave a voicemail? Is your vision that you should be able to have a nurse triage line accessible to every Like, what's our vision for that? We don't, we've never sat down as a country and sat, and so that's part of what I was trying to do is let's sit down and say, what is our vision for how healthcare should work for people? For people. Um, that's kind of the starting point. It's the power of story, like you said earlier, that that brings all of that home because in hearing that, in hearing the way that goes, the vision is your kid gets rapid, effective, safe care that is lasting and durable, that also lowers the anxiety level of the parents, that is comforting and safe and allows you to also move on with your lives without a crippling financial hit or losing your job because you're going to be gone for so the pieces are all there mm-hmm. and it's so weird. You know, I finished residency in 06. When I think about it and I hear myself saying out loud and I'm hearing your story, all I'm thinking about are all the fucking things that are going to make that so hard and so awful for all of you. You listed some of them and it sucks. Right now, the vision is completely corrupted and we really have lost track of it. There's a vision there, mm-hmm. right? It's around service blocks and and optimizing fees and and insurance nonsense. That's where it is, right? There is, it's not a vacuum. There is something there. It's just a perversion of what we know to be right and what we know can really elevate the, the lives of Americans the way we'd like to all see, right? Life liberally in the pursuit of happiness. That's what we're all looking for. Totally. Totally. And let me give you another powerful example. This is somewhat real, right? Is when, you know, remember when Biden took office and we had some vaccine, but nobody was getting it and all that stuff, right? And he sort of said straight out, he said, guys, we want to have this many vaccines and this many arms by this date. Now, think about the opposite of how it typically happens in healthcare, right? What would typically happen is say, oh, we're going to have this 0.5 hours of CME credits for doctors to learn about the vaccine. <laughs> no, it, you know how it is. We're going to add a totally. payment modifier so that if you yeah. vaccinate someone, you'll get a little extra credit. Yeah. We're going to have the CDC have some random whiteboards up there saying yeah. that people should get vaccinated, right? It, and I think that's part of the power of vision, right? So if we said as a country, hey, we want 60% of people with hypertension to have a blood pressure less than 140 over 90 by 2026. And by 2030, we want 30% of hospitalizations to happen in people's homes. And by 2035, we want 40% of people with type 2 diabetes to have their diabetes reversed through a ketogenic diet. If we did that, you know what would happen? The same thing that happened with the vaccine, you would see a whole of society, you'd see public, private, insurers, health systems, doctors, nurses, med schools, right? All orienting around getting shots and arms, all orienting around this. So we have this incredible innovation sort of engine, but right now it's 10,000 mutinies. It's not a revolution. 
right? Someone's right. working on some AI, someone's working on something, well, someone's working on some Fitbit, someone's working on some care model, and 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 we're not actually, right? It's 10,000 meetings, it's not a revolution. That's what we need to goal direct, all that effort. The, the two pieces to that then, and this is, I know you know this, is <laughs> political clout and money. And to drive a vision at a population level requires political clout at the local, state, federal level, and it requires money. Where do we find that? Do you run for office? Do I run for office? Do we, right? We, we, we can see each other. We're both like recoiling. <laughs> but someone's going to do it. Someone's going to run. Um, how do we open up the, the purse strings to drive that work and to make it to make it known? And I think this takes us back to the beginning of the conversation around unlocking physician, nurse, oh. and healthcare worker voices. There's a lot of ways to do it. Political will is not just someone running for you know the state house or running for mayor. Political will comes from a lot of different directions. The biggest one, the biggest currency is the voice. And then the money comes from that shared purpose and saying this is worth investing in based on what that shared voice is saying. And that's where our profession, I think, is like primed for launch because we haven't done that yet at yeah. a scalable level. When I say that to you, right, acknowledging that when I said, are you going to run for office, you almost like disconnected the call. <laughs> does, does that resonate, though, in terms of making that happen, creating that political will and finding that treasure trove to drive it? Yes. Yes. And that resonates. It resonates. How do we get, how do we then, for you to, on the book tour, when you get to meet with, you know, mid-career hospitalist on a podcast, <laughs> You, you have access. You have a very cool Rolodex. I know that just based on the people that are in the acknowledgments and the blurbs and quoted in the book. Like you know people and you know people who know people. How do we push that boulder? I know oh, what my yeah. answer would be, but you're the one that wrote the book and I'm excited to learn from you for sure. Wow. Oh, man. You know, I, I so let me just, I, this isn't the whole solution, but let me tell you where one place where my head goes, which is that is going back to that comment I made about that vision. Like right now, if you put 10 doctors in a room and, and someone says, hey, wave a magic wand, we're going to change healthcare in the whatever way you 10 guys, uh, 10 gals and girls say we'll do, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get 11 different answers, right? It's like health disparities. All of us are are deeply passionate about health disparities. But if you, if you say, hey guys, what, what should we do about health disparities? Let, let's not put the cart before the horse. I think you and I are, our circles of friends within the profession are, but when we speak about health disparities, that's a huge opportunity for learning. I don't, want us, to, I don't want us to give our profession too much credit in that that's space. Good. I want to, but let's just be fair. We're starting that work, right? We're entering the rapids. We're not through the rapids yet. Yeah, no, that's spot on, spot on. I didn't mean um, to cut you off, but I think it's no, important that it's you and point. I, like, clearly we champion a lot of the same stuff, so we'll rev each other up, but we've got to make sure that we keep that strategic view or else people are going to feel like we're leaving them behind. No, totally. That's a great point. No, it's a good call out, man. Um, but what I was saying was that, you know, and this is someone like I, I trained in health disparities at the University of Chicago, right? But so much of the work is problem-oriented. It's saying... Hey, this is a problem, and you know, people, they have three times the kidney disease and two times the infant death rate, and it, and it's, it's, and this is why I, I've left academia, and you know, we talked about it a little bit, but like I practice one day a week. Well, what the hell do I do the other four days? Like I build solutions at scale. Like that's kind of what I gravitated towards doing with my life. 
But I think we got to get we got to get comfortable with that. Just like we got to get comfortable telling our stories, we got to get comfortable being creative. We got to get comfortable saying what the solution is or are, and and do so in a relatively unified, you know, voice. And that's something we're not used to. We're we're used to being the naysayers and picking at this and picking at that with any new idea. We're not used, to, and then we're all used to having our pet projects. Well, I want to do this, and you want to do this. I, we have to come together write down what it is we want to do and not at such a high level where it's like the hippocratic oath we got to get it down to the granular level and say hey there's some trade-offs to make here we got to decide where we want to invest our voice moving Uh, from pie in the sky to actionable is a big challenge so then i'm going to ask you this as a person of vision as a frontline physician and as a as a as a fellow american who's now written this book that encapsulates all of those qualities sitting here mid part of 2021 when when you come back on the show in 2024 hopefully it's sooner than that but 2024 you and i are chopping it up again what would you like to have personally accomplished in that space somewhere or something you know to go staring at some seals or whatever you guys do on the west coast (laughs) (laughs) well we stare at seals we get drinks Uh, yeah i mean you're you're pretty much there if you want to come and work here you you just passed the test. Side me up, man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what would it look like in three or four years if we're successful? What is what is good yeah. look? Yeah, yeah. You know, you, our kids are in parallel, kind of entering elementary school, getting ready for middle school, um, coming up on another presidential election. You know, these sorts of things. Where where do we sit based on the vision that you have? The the entree that you have, the passion that you have, where are we? Oh, and I have man. a follow-up to that. <laughs> As you can imagine. Wow. I'll give you the follow-up. I'll give you the follow-up because it'll fit. Okay. How yeah. can we help? How can Mark Shapiro, how can our shared friend Vinny Aurora, how can people who engage with Care After COVID, who buy into, if not all of this, at least big mm-hmm. pieces of the vision, how do we drive this with you so that the the 2024 it happens we don't say now like boy wouldn't that be great we get there yeah wow um you're handing me the keys to the castle i like it um yeah i i think i think it goes back to so you know recent piece of news right was about how all the medical associations came out and said hey we should mandate vaccines for healthcare workers right yeah yeah like I think that's super powerful. And that's another muscle we've built. Like I think co-creating that vision at a tactical level for what, how healthcare needs to change and getting, you know, the, the medical societies and groups aligned on that kind of change and all echoing the same thing. I think, I mean, my guess is that alone will take us a couple of years to accomplish, but that would be an amazing place, right. To be, yeah, yeah. you know, because I've seen us wake up and, you know, we're advocating for COVID. We've, I think ACP has done an amazing job and, uh, around, you know, insur- you know, universal health coverage. You know, folks came together to support, um, you know, Doctors for Obama and Doctors for America. But I think what we haven't done is really, again, going back to the vision at the delivery level. Like, we haven't really come down at that level. The thing that we know better than anybody, like, we don't really understand healthcare financing better than anybody. We don't understand insurance schemas better than everybody 
but we'll, we don't understand public health better than everybody. But we definitely understand is what to do for those parents and that kid on a Saturday night on you know seven p.m. Like that would be, I think, a super powerful yeah yeah you know, milestone for us to hit. I I agree with that, and I think it's really exciting. People will continue, I think, more and more to be looking for that sort of vision after the the slog and the drudgery and the grind that we continue to be in because it is that sense of hope. It gets the brain thinking creatively. Um, Even if you don't agree with it, it just puts you in that mindset of like, how can we make this better? How can we be part of something special? So how do people find you? How do they find the book Care After COVID? How do they kind of engage with this, having heard and seen and kind of felt the vision and the passion of what we can get to? Yeah, so the website is careaftercovid.org. Uh, and on that's my contact information. And yeah, let me put it out here right now, man. If people want to, you know, shoot me ideas or talk about how we can start to get this motley crew of people together to start to put down on paper, not just what I think, which is just the book, but more importantly, what we collectively think, I'm I'm in. You know, that's Mark, wonderful. Yeah. Mark, same thing goes to you, man. I, I think, you know, I, I can't do it alone, but if people feel inspired you know, not just by my story, but their own story, this experience that we've all been through to say, God, like, we just need to cut through the crap and and come up with a better, you know, here's the doctor's plan for care for America. Like, man, sign me up. Yeah. Be a part of it. No, that's great. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well. This was awesome. You know, I know you and I have, we've been trying to get this done for a while. Like, I think you sent me the book a couple of months ago, life is life. And yeah, you know, with some, sure. with some persistence and some tenacity, we, we can get some of these, these starting points done and connecting with you is definitely a starting point. This was awesome. Thank you so much. Ah, thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks for everything you're doing here. Great. My thanks once again to Dr. Nundy for joining us on this episode of explore the space podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it as well. Listening to it. I, I was just really struck by this idea of, having a vision, articulating a vision, helping others understand how they can support a vision. That kind of strategic thinking for me just really resonates right now. Thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Thank you also to the Clinician Experience Project by Practicing Excellence. The Clinician Experience Project provides enterprise-wide healthcare coaching and development solutions for clinicians, leaders, and teams to improve patient connection, team collaboration, and leadership effectiveness. Organizations see significant results when participants spend a mere five minutes per week building skills through app-delivered programs. To learn more, visit www.practicingexcellence.com. A reminder, you can find the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. Please do find me on Twitter at ETS Show and email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. We will have more great content coming soon. Please do take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for listening. Always appreciate your support. And we will see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.